This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Well, coming up on September 29th at the Chan Center for Performing Arts at UBC, Kate Evans will be there presenting Threads. And she joins us on the line now to talk a bit more about this from the uh, the uh, piece Threads from the Refugee Crisis. And Kate Evans is on the line with us. Kate, good morning to you. Morning, how are you? Morning, good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me on. Uh, talk a little bit about this. Uh, Threads from the Refugee Crisis is your graphic novel uh, of this year uh, after you spent some time uh, in, uh, well, maybe, uh, well, hopefully you can <laughs> describe it a lot better than I can. Uh, you were in Calais. What was it like when you spent time there? Well, I traveled to Calais uh, refugee camp in October 2015, and it was just for a weekend. I'm not an expert in this field. But what I am is I'm a cartoonist. So I came back from there and I drew a, a comic, just one short, short comic about my experiences, um, and put that on the Internet. I wasn't intending to make a book out of it. And then I went back for a further two visits, and all kinds of crazy things happened. And the situation with the refugees in Europe is so extreme and so severe um, I just felt empire, uh, inspired to write a graphic novel about it. It's partly like you come back from these camps and people say, what was it like? And, and you're like, I don't know if I can begin to explain what it was like because it was so full on. Um, but when I write a graphic novel about it, then you can. You can feel like you were there and that you were genuinely meeting people and seeing their humanity. And it's interesting that that form, the, the format of a graphic novel to tell the story and to try and portray what you saw and what you experienced? Well, you see, graphic reportage, I think, is gaining in popularity and respectability. Um, And it's an incredibly fluid medium. Uh, It's incredibly sort of... um, What it does... I mean, you get to meet people. You get to meet people like I met Iraqi Kurdish guys and Afghan children, effectively. No, they were children. They were were 11 and 12-year-old kids who were there without their parents. Uh, with no official uh, body looking after them, no official provision of food or shelter, they were. Um, and, um, and and you couldn't go there, I don't think, and make a documentary film in the same way because we have to preserve people's um, like anonymity to some extent. This is because there's regulations in Europe which means that you have to claim asylum in the first safe country that you come to. So if you were trying to make it to the UK say, to meet up with, like, members of your family, for example, which is one of the major factors uh, motivating the refugees at Calais, then you have to stay under the radar and you have to remain anonymous because otherwise when you get to the UK, they could say, hey, I know that you were in France, I saw a photo of you. So that's one of the really good advantages about what I did is that I can show you someone's face, but it's just a cartoon, so, so they can't claim it, you know, that doesn't incriminate anyone in any way. Uh, did you find uh, refugees were more open to talking to you or sharing stories with you because of that, because they could maintain uh, anonymity? Well, I didn't go as a journalist. Although I described what I do as graphic reportage, I kind of couldn't consider myself a participant in situations rather than an observer. And what I wasn't doing was saying, hey, tell me about your tragic story, background, what has caused you to be there, because I felt that that would be inappropriate and... Um, maybe quite intrusive. 
Mm-hmm. And what instead I was interested in doing is showing the reality of lives for people in this situation, stuck in limbo. I mean, I was meeting kids. This is the, you know, 21st century. I was meeting mothers with small children. And like this little kid said to me, hey, I want to be a teacher. And I just had to look at him and think, maybe this kid is never going to get to be a teacher. Maybe he's never even going to get to school. Yeah. And, and and how do you take that then and being a cartoonist and putting it once you realize that you were going to put this in a graphic novel? How do you take what's happening right in front of you and, and translate it into that form? Well, I'm, I, I mean, I've got quite a lot of experience at this. This is the sixth book I've done. And I like to shape a narrative consistently with the facts, but I like to create a narrative which, which draws someone in takes the reader on a journey, takes them up and takes them down. So it, I, I, like to, I like to tell the story, including all the humor and all the fun moments as well as the sad moments. So there is a certain skill and art in what I do. Um, and hopefully I've created an aesthetic experience out of the stories of these people. I mean, the, you know, the fact is with artwork as well, is like you get to use all these additional things to bring life to the colors. Uh, to the story. So I get to use color and I get to use dramatic timing. And it's sort of like something like you get to write your own film of what happened. Um, but you have complete control over all aspects of it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, when you first traveled to Calais, what were you expecting? I don't really know. I thought, actually, I thought, hey, I'm sure, like, so a million refugees arrived in Europe in 2015. And I think I thought, I'm pretty sure. All the refugees are still in Greece. I'm pretty sure there's not particularly anything we need to do in Calais. I'll just go over with my friends who are all going over just to speak. And I was shocked, absolutely shocked by the the scale of what's happening there. So the police had rounded up all refugees in Calais who were trying to get to the UK. And they'd made them live in a garbage dump on on a bit of bare open wasteland by the edge of the port. And... They, there's no safe passage for refugees. That is why 8,500 people drowned in the Mediterranean last year. And so the people at Calais, they have a choice of paying a criminal gang to get them over to the UK or trying to hide inside a lorry, a, freight, a truck, a freight truck that's going across, or trying to get onto a train, a moving train that's going through the Channel Tunnel. And you consider some of these are families of children. It's a wholesale failure of the authorities to really address the humanitarian needs of people. It used to be the case up until 2002 that British uh, asylum applications would be processed on the French side of the channel. So if you had a genuine reason to come to the UK and claim asylum there, the, the bureaucracy was in place to do that. But instead, they've removed that provision, but haven't replaced it with anything else that is effective or humane. And is that because of the sheer number of people and trying to deal with the the number of people? Or are there other reasons that you know of? Well, it's because of the xenophobic attitudes that also led to Brexit, you know. When in in a times of austerity, then it's easy to blame immigrants, isn't it? Rather than looking at, you know, maybe some underlying causes of, 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 of where the money's gone, you know? <laughs> and, um, yeah, uh, it, it's just, it's not the numbers of people that's the issue, it's the fact of the, pe- of the people 
fleeing war and conflict and climate change related um, disasters. That is the issue. Are we going to put up a border and say, well, we'll only help 20 people and the other 150 can die and then keep repeating that as, as the situation scales up? I think we should never really... I, I mean, the issue, really, if you don't want to talk about numbers, is that so few countries are, um, are really properly fulfilling their obligations to refugees. I'd like to say that Canada, you have the ability to sponsor a refugee family and bring them over. In the UK, you are not even allowed to do that. You're not even allowed to get reunited with family members. That isn't happening. We had children, as I say, the youngest is eight, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, um, being like, in the end, the, the, the camp that I saw, which is called the jungle, was uh, bulldozed and dismantled. And these children were taken away and they were told that their asylum applications would be processed and they would be brought over to the UK in time to meet up with family members. And that didn't happen. It happened with Syrian kids, but for the Iraqis and Afghans and uh, other, you know, Eritrean and Sudanese boys, mainly boys who were there, they, they were lied to. Hmm. Well, Kate, we're out of time, but uh, I so appreciate you joining oh. us today. And uh, I know it's going to be an extremely uh, interesting night. Uh, you're at the Chan Centre on September 29th uh, presenting this. Thank you so much for joining us and talking a bit more about it today. Okay, thank you. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.